You don't write those kind of songs on the mountaintop. You write those songs in the valley. In fact, Horatio Spafford, who wrote that song, wrote it on the sea. That's why that first line says, when sorrows like sea billows roll. He had been struck with grief in his family. Can't remember if it was his wife and two daughters or how many children he lost, but he'd asked the captain of the ship on the way between England and America to stop at the place where he best thought his children drowned. The ship went down. And there he stood at the rail and uh, in the reflection of that event wrote wrote this hymn. And, And you'll notice how that hymn ends with the future gaze of glory, of looking forward, and Lord, haste the day. So you don't sing, Lord, haste the day when you're living in a party. You sing, Lord, haste the day when when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, when your heart is heavy. And our church has had its share of sorrow in these months. And so this morning, contrary to the bulletin, uh, we're going to take a break from King David and we're going to just comfort one another in Jesus' promises to us, his church, and some of the things that he has to say to us today. As Jesus began to prepare for his departure, he began to prepare his disciples for that that time. And we're going to look at scripture that addresses that this morning. But before we do so, I would like to lead us in a time of prayer for the Henkelman family and others. We lost a, a wonderful man of God on Friday evening. Dave Henkelman went into the presence of Jesus Christ a former pastor of our church that we need to honor. And he was the man that uh, was in, in, uh, in that seat of pastor here when this church moved from Grant Park to this address in 1988. And I can't remember how many years he served. Was it 10 or 12 uh, as pastor of this church in this location? And... Uh, Still continued on as a member of this church, was responsible for our webpage, uh, served in his capabilities with our association as well, was a pastor of different churches in this association, and was indeed uh, the regional minister when he had to undergo a heart transplant, and that heart lasted over 12 years. Uh, Was on the list to have another transplant, but... Various complications uh, surrounded that, that uh, physical health, and so he was not able to stay on that list. And, and then just recently, some of the things that were aiding his heart and his blood flow were failing. And, and so on Friday evening, he went to be with the Lord, and 
and we talked with Heidi on the phone just prior to it, and then we talked with her right after it, and she was in Edmonton with Dave, and by, <laughs> by the grace of God, by the providence of God, um, Dave's sister Jan and Harry Kahn were, were out there with her in that time. And she returned last night, and I know that uh, she just wanted to see Mark and Jenny. And so today they're spending time and pray that the Lord will uphold and strengthen them. Um, let's come to the Lord now and pray. <clears throat> God, our Father, we know that your servant Dave Henkelman has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And now there is in store for him a crown of righteousness with you, which you, O oh Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, is awarding to him. And not only to him, but all, to all who, who love and wait and hasten on your appearing. God, we thank you so much for your incredible grace and love. We, we read in Scripture that you are the Father of compassion, that you are the God of all comfort that you comfort us in all our afflictions and then you take the comfort that you've given us and pass it on through us to others so that the entire community receives comfort as others go through grief. Lord, you are doing that in our church. As those who have faced grief also walk with others who face grief in a way that those of us who have not faced severe grief, do not understand. God, we thank you for the body of Christ, this church family. We pray that we would grow, Lord God, to be, to be that kind of church that honors you as we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And Lord, this morning as we think of, of Dave and, and we pray that you would as you've received him into glory, we just pray that you'll bless our remembrance of him and celebration of his life this coming week. We pray for Heidi today and, and Jenny and Mark and Mark's fiance Sharon. We pray for Jan, Dave's sister and his mother and other siblings. We pray that you'd wrap this family up in love and just bless them with the words of eternal life and the hope that this is found in you. And Lord, at the same time, we, we are thinking of Daryl Panner, Kieran and Tegan, and we pray for them, O oh God, that you would continue to walk with them in this deep shadow of, the, of death, and we pray that you would minister to them. We pray, O oh God, this morning as well for David and Susan and Joshua Bergman and the whole family, O oh God, as they grieve still Jesse's parting, O oh God, that you might minister to them in deep ways, real ways, and walk with them, O shepherd of our souls, like only you can do. And help us, O Lord, to know how to draw near and support them. We think, O Lord, of Verna Hildebrandt and her grief of losing her mom. Lord, we think of Lorraine Demonier and her kids and, and, and still grieving Bill's passing. And Lord, there's so many others. We think of the imminence of Joyce Lahour's death as she is in any day now going to be summoned to her eternal glory. We pray for Al and the kids and we pray that you'd surround them. 
And Lord, even mentioning this theme and these names brings to our minds other people that have gone before or that are suffering. And Lord, we lift them up to you. We, we come before you with our tears and our sighs and our heavy hearts. And we thank you for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life for all who love you, that uh, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Oh God, we thank you for that. And we would ask you today to fill us, Lord, fill our minds and fill our hearts with the promises that you left us so that we could be even filled with joy in the midst of suffering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I don't think that you can really prepare for the departure of a loved one. Even if you know it's coming... I don't think you can prepare for it. And certainly, when it comes absolutely unexpected, you cannot prepare for it. We see in the Gospels the time in the life of Jesus when he gathered in, like so often we want to do if we're grieving, gather in those close loved ones and keep all the others out for a moment and gather in, and you just want to speak those words. And Jesus, in John 13 to 17, on the evening before his death, we have this incredible volume of teaching that he gives his disciples in John 13 to 17. Can you imagine that out of the 21 chapters in John, five chapters are given to about two or three hours of his 33 years? You can tell what's important to the writer, John the Apostle. And Jesus gathers in and he, he's trying to prepare them for what's coming, but they're absolutely unprepared. There, there's no way they're going to get it. One of you will betray me. They don't understand that. He says, in a little while, I will, you will not see me. And then in a little while, you will see me. They don't understand. What do you mean in a little while? What are you talking about? I'm going to send another counselor to be with you forever. What do you mean you're going to send an? I, we don't want another. We, we like you. They're just confused. Except that when afterwards Jesus is gone and he is taken up into glory, they remember his words. That's why we have them is because they remembered them and they put them down. And these words were such an incredible comfort to the disciples to continue on. And so we're going to look at the scriptures that Jesus gives us of promises. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16, we're going to look at a portion of these words, John chapter 16. <clears throat> Have you ever been in a conversation where someone is explaining something that's very important to them, obviously, but you don't get it, and you, you want to just stop the conversation and say, why are you telling me this? That's kind of where the disciples are at on, in, in John chapter 16. <clears throat> and in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 17, if you are able to stand with me, let's read this portion together. I'll read it out loud and you can follow. John 16, beginning in verse 17. <clears throat> Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? 
We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so also with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to, you, to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Now I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May God bless his word. You may be seated. The last words of anyone are pretty important words. They are remembered. Here are Jesus's, some of Jesus' last words. And not only is he telling them what is going to happen, but he's telling them why he's telling them it's going to happen. He's telling them why it's so important that they know ahead of time. In these chapters, it's clear that not just the content of what Jesus is saying is important to John, but the intent of what Jesus is saying is important. And so six times in, the, in this, what's called the upper room discourse, six times Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that. And so if you have your Bibles, you can just take a quick look at them with me. John chapter 13 to start with. And in verse 19, Jesus says, I am telling you this before it happens so that it, when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. Then in chapter 14, in verse 29, He says, I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. In chapter 15, in verse 11, He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In chapter 16, verse 1, he says, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Verse 4, I have told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And then chapter 6, verse 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome 
the world. Jesus is about to be crucified. He, he, he knows that his followers are absolutely unprepared for what's coming. He will be resurrected three days later, and then after appearing to many, he will be ascended into heaven. And until he returns at his second coming, which is the little while uh, in his mind, uh, this, is, this is what they're faced with, and it's going to rock their world. It's going to cause them to be uh, very distraught. The road ahead is not easy. Just as the road ahead for anyone who has a loved one departed is not an easy road. It is not an easy road for the disciples in this moment. Difficult days will follow. Some will be thrown in prison. Some will be beaten. Some will face the persecuted church early. Some will be martyred. How can they be prepared? Why is it that they need to know why Jesus is telling them these things? Let me share four things quickly of why it is that Jesus told them ahead of time. The first one has to do with the first two references that I referred to, chapter 13, 19, and chapter 14, 29, and that is because he wants to make sure that when they no longer can see him, that they continue to walk by faith, not by sight. He wants them to be absolutely sure that just because he is gone from them doesn't mean that he does not care for them. Just because he allows things to come into their world that is going to be against them and cause suffering, he does not want them to think that he is against them, that he has somehow abandoned them. He says, I want you to continue to believe in me even though you won't see me. And then he says, I'm going to give you another helper, another counselor to be with you forever. And that is the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that four times in this, this ministry, in that upper room, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the parakletos, the, the one who comes alongside of you, literally. It's used of Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, when it says that if any one of you sins... We have a parakletos from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who comes alongside of you when you're standing before the judge guilty, and he comes alongside of you and he says, I will take the punishment for this one in my righteousness, and I will bear this one up. And in grief, the Holy Spirit comes, and he's the parakletos, and he's the one who will be with you forever, Jesus says. Not like me. He says, I'll give you another counselor. But the interesting word in, in the Greek text for another is not another of a different kind, but another of the same kind. Just like I have been with you for these three years in my discipleship with you, so also another counselor is coming, and he will be with you forever, for he will live inside of you. We need to be remembered, remember that this incredible comforter, the Holy Spirit, is with us in grief. The one who comes alongside to help you. So many different English words are used. There's the helper, the, the counselor, the comforter, the advocate, the lawyer. He's, he's, he comes alongside. You know, in First Baptist Church, Thunder Bay, where... Uh, we, were, we lived for almost 13 years, and I pastored at, at that church. And, and um, for the last, I don't know how many, several years, at least half of that time, there was a deacon in our church. His name was Gus McPhee. 
He was about that tall, short man, stout, had the heart of a lion, a big encourager. And on a regular basis, Gus McPhee, before any of us got to the office, would phone the church office and he'd leave a promise on the answering machine. So we'd get to the church office and we'd start taking off messages and, and sure enough, there's Gus McPhee and he just says in his little kind of guttural voice, he'd say, the Lord Jesus said I'm with you forever even unto the end of the age. God bless you, brother. You know, we need to remember the promises that God gave, that Christ gave beforehand because he says, I want you to, to not fall over this thing. I want you to, you know, the grief is going to come into your home. The pathway is going to get tough for you. I want you to keep believing. I'm telling you ahead of time so that you don't stop believing. Secondly, he says that it's for the, the, the increasing of our joy in him, even in the middle of suffering. Verse 15, uh, verse 11 of chapter 15 you know, I find it interesting. In John's gospel, up until now, in chapter 15, the word joy comes only once. And now, in this passage of this evening with his disciples, when he's telling them that he's about to leave, he's about to depart, the darkest time for the disciples, he uses the word joy seven times. Wouldn't it be the time to talk about joy like on the good days when he's feeding the multitudes and when healing is going on and all the good things are going on? No. He waits until he talks about joy on the darkest evening of the disciples' lives. What does that say to us except that joy is something very otherworldly that can live within you because of Jesus who is otherworldly? It's not like pleasure because, you see, pleasure depends on the temporal things that please us. It's not like happiness because, you see, happiness depends on the happenings of our lives. Joy is something very otherly. It's that deep river that never stops flowing if you will be in touch with the joy giver, Jesus himself. And only those who have gone through deep grief sometimes tap into that deep river of joy. It's like a man who was asked, how are you doing under these circumstances? And he responded by saying, oh, I'm not living under any circumstances. I'm living over them. Now, that sign sounds very pious, I know, but I don't believe that is a contradiction to joy. I don't believe that's a contradiction to real grief. I don't believe it's a contradiction that somehow we paste a smile on our faces and we just go on with life stoically. I don't believe, but I believe that in the midst of it, there can be joy in the midst of tears, sadness loneliness, there can be joy. Paul, in his last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy, he's, he's getting ready for his departure. He's pre preparing Timothy for his departure, and he says in chapter 4 that he's, he's, being, he's already feeling in his body like he's being poured out like a drink offering. 
And I think that as I read the caring bridge that Heidi was sending out on a daily basis, I got the sense that Dave in the final weeks was feeling like his body also was being poured out. And the time for his departure was nearing. He was convinced of it long before any family member, of course, wanted to accept it. Paul is saying, the time has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And now there is in store for me. Now at this moment of my departure, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will award to me. But it was accompanied, these words were accompanied with incredible joy. And then there is this important message that Jesus gives his followers in chapter 16 in verses 1 to 4. He is so earnest that none of them fall away. The word is scandalize, scandalizo in Greek. It's, it's, it's saying in verse 1, all, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray, fall away, stumble. It would be scandalous if, if one of my followers would ever, would ever stray away because of deep things that happen, because of departures, because of this little time that we have to endure in terms of all eternity, this little time that we have to endure such loss. And so he says that you would not go astray, that you would not forget that you still have me as your shepherd, Jesus says, that I'll still guide you to this, the pastures, I'll still lead you beside still waters, I'll still restore your souls when you lose your peace. I'll still guide you in the path of righteousness. And even when death comes at your door, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that even then you do not need to fear any evil because even then I am going to be with you. You walk by faith, not by sight. And then finally, Jesus in his words to his disciples in preparing them for his departure, he says... In chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but I've overcome this world. I'm going to give you my peace. My peace I give to you, not like the world. No, my peace. Of course, we all understand this. We all understand that in this world we're going to have trouble. Really, we, we try to make life the best that can possibly be, but we all understand that in this world, in this body, we are going to have trouble. It's not a surprise to us. I don't want to make light of anything, but I, I heard a story this past week about two teardrops who were flowing down the river of life. And the one teardrop said to the other teardrop, Who are you? And the teardrop said, I am a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. And so in response, they said, and what about you? Who are you? And the first teardrop replied, I am a teardrop from the girl who got him. <laughs> you know, we, we, we shed tears of things we do have and we shed tears of things we don't have. And there is no, no tears that could ever be compare to the tears of the loss of a loved one. There's no tears that can compare to some of the tears members of our church 
have had to endure and the tears that are being shed in quietness in their homes all week long, we cannot identify with those tears. Can any of us identify with anyone else in their tears, really? And yet we draw near. Because Jesus says, I, I'm telling you, I do give my peace in the midst of tears. I want you to notice in chapter 16, verse 33, that there's, there's three contrasting pairs going on here. In me, Jesus says, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So in me or in the world, there are two places you can make as your reference point. You can live in me, Jesus says, or you can live in the world. And the, the, the condition is that if in me you may have peace, different than in the world you will have trouble, different. You can't avoid the trouble that is coming at you in this world. But if you do not choose to draw near to the Prince of Peace in the midst of all that you face, you may not have peace. Psalm 91, verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you want to rest in the shadow of the Almighty? Dwell. If you don't dwell somewhere, you can't rest there. If I go home and dwell there, I can rest there. If I don't dwell there, I can't rest there. In me, you may have peace. And then finally, there's this contrast of peace and trouble. And, and, and trouble you can't avoid. Peace is something that can overcome Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so Jesus, Jesus encourages his followers, and, and these words are shared not for only the 12, but for us as well, that he wants us to be inspired by strong faith, even though we can't see him, even though grief comes to our door. He wants us to understand that there's a deep river of joy that is ours if we will tap into it. There is, there is this incredible protection. He does not want us to go astray. He sent us his Holy Spirit to keep us on track. And then there is this deep peace that can be ours in the midst of it as well. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Ever-present help in time of trouble. Jesus knows what we can handle. I read the story about a little boy who was shopping in a supermarket with his father and he was walking around behind him and he didn't have a buggy and so a cart and so father was just kind of absentmindedly putting things on his son's, uh, in his son's arms and he was getting laden down with, with things and finally another man saw him and said, uh, you're carrying a heavy load, son. And the boy looked up at him and said, oh, oh don't worry, my father knows how much I can carry. And you know, friends, our Father knows how much we can carry too. And uh, individually, He knows what you can carry. He's with you. And co collectively, as a church, He knows what we can carry. He's with us. He wants us to strengthen each other. He wants us to draw near to each other. Take the initiative to draw near to those 
that have gone through grief. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Just before the worship team comes, I'd like to read a poem as I conclude. It came from a missionary prayer letter many years ago. It says, I was regretting the past, and I was fearing the future. And suddenly my Lord spoke to me and said, My name is I Am. He paused and I waited, and then he continued speaking. He said, When you live in the past with all of its loss and regret, it is hard, for I am not there. My name is not I was. And when you live in the future with all of its problems and its fears, it is hard, for I am not not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in this moment, it is less hard because I am here. My name is I am. Let's pray. Father, would you just take us, God, by the hand faithful God that you are, and uh, Lord, minister to the very need. You are the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. And Jesus, we thank you that you are a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. We come to you, and we acknowledge our great need. And so come, Holy Spirit, comfort and counsel, and lead us beyond the valley into the things you have waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. One Sunday afternoon, I was listening on CBC to two commentators that were discussing Christians and their naivety in believing in God. And the discussion went on for nearly an hour. But near the end, one of them admitted that the research showed that Christians actually lived longer and were happier. That was just an absolute wonder to them. And I know when we go through terrible struggles and we feel like we're completely gone and we've fallen and we've failed, all we've done is fall on into the hollow of his hand and he just gets us back on our feet. And that's what they don't have. Oh God, we don't dare be proud of our faith. That's a gift that you gave us. We don't deserve. We don't have the right to be proud of those who challenge us. But we sure have a right from the bottom of our hearts to say thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation. So rich, so free. Amen.